Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Story time. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I am a park ranger in a remote area of the woods, where few people come to visit. My days are usually filled with monitoring the wildlife and ensuring that the campers follow the rules. One day, 
a woman and her daughter came to fish in the river that runs through the woods. Later in the day, the woman's daughter came running towards me, telling me that she had found huge four-toed tracks near the riverbank. I was curious but skeptical, as bear tracks are commonly found in these woods. However, the other fishermen who had gathered around to listen to her were nodding their heads in agreement, saying they had never seen tracks like that before. I decided to investigate the tracks for myself, and the young girl eagerly led me back to the spot. Sure enough, there were tracks that were larger than any bear tracks I had ever seen, and had four toes instead of the usual five. As I examined the tracks more closely, I noticed that they were imprinted deep into the ground, and the claw marks were clear. My mind raced as I tried to think of what animal could have made these tracks. As I was looking at the tracks, I heard rustling in the nearby bushes. I quickly grabbed my binoculars and focused them on the spot, and to my surprise, I saw a large creature moving through the brush. It was unlike anything I had ever seen before, it was huge, covered in dark fur, and had four legs, but moved in a way that was unlike any bear or other animal I had ever seen. I knew that the woman and her daughter had to be warned of the possible danger, so I quickly made my way back to their campsite. I informed them of what I had seen, and urged them to leave immediately. They quickly packed their things and left with a newfound sense of urgency. After they had left, I went back to the spot where I had seen the creature. I searched the area, but there was no sign of it. However, the tracks were still there, and they confirmed that something large and unknown had been there. As I made my way back to the ranger station, I couldn't help but wonder what other secrets lay hidden in these woods, waiting to be discovered. The experience had left me both excited and fearful of what else might be out there. As a child, I always looked forward to going on long drives with my dad in his truck. This summer was no different. We were cruising down the road, enjoying our snacks when I saw something odd on the side of the road. I called out to my dad, but he didn't seem to notice it. A few minutes later, I saw it again. It was a creature running on the side of the road, but it was hazy and blurry. This time, my dad saw it too, but he shrugged it off. We continued driving, but after a while, we got a flat tire. My dad pulled over to change it, and we saw that the tire had multiple holes poked in it, as if something had bitten it. While we were changing the tire, another truck passed by, and I remember admiring its cool lights. However, we didn't think much of it at the time. As we continued our journey, we saw the same truck we had passed earlier, crashed on the side of the road. Police and EMTs were already there, and we drove on that night, grateful that we had not been in that accident. Looking back, my dad and I still talk about that strange creature we saw, which he later learned was called a crawler. We wonder if it had something to do with the strange occurrences that night. Whether it was the creature or a mysterious force that saved us, we'll never know for sure. But the memory of that night still sends shivers down my spine. I remember the day vividly. The rain was pouring down, and I was hunting caribou with my friend in eastern Alaska. We had been on the trail for a few hours when we saw a man riding down the trail on a four-wheeler. He stopped us and asked if we had a satellite phone. 
He looked panicked and told us that his girlfriend was dead in their tent when he woke up. Without a second thought, we gave him our phone and watched as he frantically dialed for help. We waited with him for a while, and then he took off back up the trail towards his campsite. We decided to continue hunting, hoping that help would arrive soon. Later that day, we saw a trooper on a four-wheeler with a side-by-side following with EMS on the side head up the trail. We assumed it was for the man's girlfriend and felt relieved that help had finally arrived. However, as we continued hunting, we kept an eye on the state trooper daily dispatches, but there was no mention of the incident. It was strange, and we couldn't help but wonder what had really happened. Days turned into weeks, and we couldn't shake off the feeling of unease. We decided to talk to a park ranger about the incident, hoping that they would have some information. The park ranger listened intently to our story and then told us that there had been reports of a dangerous predator in the area. They suspected that it may have been responsible for the man's girlfriend's death and that the trooper dispatch was kept quiet to avoid causing panic. Hearing this sent chills down our spines. We realized just how lucky we were to have made it out of there unscathed. We thanked the park ranger for the information and promised ourselves that we would never take the dangers of the wilderness for granted again. I was always fascinated by the stories my son Jack told me about his discovery of Bigfoot Cave. I remember the excitement in his voice as he recounted the tale of how he stumbled upon the cave during his senior year of high school. He and his friends had decided to explore the cave in the spring of 1994, but what they found there was beyond their wildest dreams. As I listened to Jack's story, I couldn't help but feel a sense of unease. The thought of my son encountering some strange creature out there in the woods was terrifying to me. But Jack was always fearless and adventurous, just like his old man. According to Jack, they had arrived at the cave around 4 p.m. and saw a gigantic, long-haired creature standing at the entrance. They were so scared that they quickly left and ran to a landing far above the cave, where they heard moaning sounds. A week later, Zane, one of Jack's friends, decided to visit the landing. It was a beautiful day, and he and his wife planned to camp there for the night. But at midnight, they were awoken by the eerie sound of moaning, and Zane's wife refused to ever go camping again. As a park ranger, I had heard many stories of Bigfoot sightings, but I never really believed in them until now. Jack's account of his encounter had me intrigued, and I decided to investigate further. I wanted to see if there was any evidence to support his claim of a creature living in Bigfoot cave. I organized a team of experts and headed to the cave with the latest equipment for detecting any signs of life. As we entered the cave, we could feel the eerie presence of something or someone watching us. Suddenly, we heard the same moaning sounds that Zane had reported. We froze in our tracks, unsure of what to do next. But then, I remembered my training and reminded myself that I was a park ranger, and it was my duty to investigate further. We pushed forward, following the sounds until we came to a small opening in the cave wall. And there, to our surprise, we saw the unmistakable footprints of a large creature with four toes. I knew then that Jack and his friends were telling the truth. There was indeed something living in Bigfoot Cave. 
I made sure to report my findings to the authorities and to take all necessary precautions to protect the public from any potential danger. As for me, I still think about that moaning sound in the night and what it might mean. But I am grateful for the experience, as it opened my eyes to the mysteries that lie hidden in the forest, waiting to be discovered. I have a story to tell, but you might not believe me. I was working as a ranger in a small state park in California. It was late September, and the number of hikers was dwindling. I was patrolling the trails, checking on things, and making sure everything was safe. During lunchtime, I sat down in an open field to eat my favorite tuna sandwich. Suddenly, I froze with a bite still in my mouth when I saw two dark eyes moving between trees to my right. I saw something large watching me, and then I heard branches and twigs snapping. It was trying to evade being seen. Then I heard deep breaths, almost like heavy panting or wheezing. I got up and left immediately, but it followed me, moving briskly through the trees. I picked up my pace, but everything around me fell quiet, and I began to feel very uncomfortable. I think it followed me for a couple of miles before finally stopping. To this day, I have no way to account for what it was that I saw, and I don't want to think about it. Working as a cop was simply one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. I made good friends, had several adventures and encounters, among other things. When I also retired, I did so with full honor and glory and no bad records. It was the best life and career I could ask for. However, while my job had its fair share of excitement and fun, it also had its hidden dangers. Most of these were often mild with little to no deaths. If we were lucky, we got off with light injuries. However, I had an encounter that nearly cost my life. Nothing had prepared me for this terrifying encounter, not even the rigorous training we received when we applied for the academy, nor the years of experience on the job itself had properly prepared me for this ordeal. That ordeal was one of the reasons I retired when I did. My mind was unable to handle the shock from that encounter. I was in the precinct with a few of my colleagues. They were on duty that day when we received a distress call. I went to check it out. I left the precinct while pondering on what the issues could be. The caller had only dropped an address before the line went off, so it was puzzling to say the least. Usually, these kind of calls are some of the worst. I located the house after a bit of asking around the place that it was located. It was in the deepest part of town. Notwithstanding, everybody seemed familiar with the place at that point. Countless alarm bells were going off in my head. This house was in a very secluded part of town, yet everybody knew it. This was strange. I wouldn't be surprised if one or two people knew about the place, but everybody seemed to know where the call came from. I guess the house was built in the old 1900s, and it had a very eerie ambience around it. I could sense a sinister aura surrounding it, but I was not bothered. It was just my mind and paranoia and trying to play tricks on me. I walked to the door and knocked. The answer I got was silence. I knocked again, stating who I was with more strength. Still, greeted by silence. At this point, the alarm bells were blaring non-stop in my head, but I still chose to ignore them. 
I've already gotten here. I can't just turn back without conducting a search or a proper investigation. When I had grown tired of knocking, I decided to barge in, and I heard the footsteps racing down the stairs. It was a middle-aged woman with a girl of about 15 years in tow. The woman opened the door with a smile and asked politely, how may I help you, officer? And I told her somebody had called our precinct, gave the address to this house, so I decided to do a wellness check. The woman softly smiled and told me it was just the kids playing pranks. I couldn't help but glance at the girl behind her who was silently mouthing the words help me. It was at that juncture I knew that something was going on in that house and this woman standing in front of me was either the perpetrator or an accomplice. In my mind, I concluded the matter to be a case of child trafficking or kidnapping, but little did I know that I was about to be thrown into a world that would shatter everything I knew. I was about to be thrown into a world that would decimate mine. I simply smiled. The woman asked if I could come in to take a look. The smile at this point on her face receded, and she threw a glance at the girl behind her. The girl trembled and retreated in fright, which further confirmed my suspicions that something sinister was going on. I took a step inside, taking a curse for every glance at everything before turning to the girl. My intuition told me she had been the one to make the call that brought me here. I decided to make her talk so I could ascertain if the voice had been hers. Hi. My name is Matthew, what's yours? I had asked with a smile, trying to be chipper and polite. She only gave a frightful nod in response, declining to clearly talk again, another action firmly confirming my suspicions. She had indeed been the one to make the call to the precinct, and the look of terror on her face made me know that the woman standing behind me was clearly no saint. I turned to address her. Ma'am, this child looks malnourished and starved. She's also in need of immediate medical attention. With your permission, I'd like to take her to the hospital. The moment I said those words, I could feel the temperature drop and a cold shiver ran over my body. This look crept onto the woman's face and her voice, which sounded like a demon from the depths of hell, awakened terror within me. All I felt was fear, a primal fear from the depths of my soul. Grabbing the girl, I rushed towards the door, only for it to snap shut as if pushed by an invisible hand. The woman slowly began to shapeshift from a middle-aged woman into something ghastly and evil-looking. She gave this shrill cry and her eyes retracted to these black shapes. The noise was high-pitched and making my ears nearly bleed. She raised her hands toward me, making me fly towards her, terrified. I cannot describe how I felt, all I knew was I felt a pang of regret at that moment. This encounter had brought me face to face with a demon or a witch. She clenched her fist, and giving me the sensation that a hand had clutched onto my heart, I cried out in pain and silently prayed to God. In my pain, I didn't realize the girl was no longer behind me. I was busy, too busy thinking of how to escape. Once again, ruthlessly, I was flung away like a ragdoll, and it was at this moment I saw the girl. She was holding on to a crude crucifix. Stealthily, she went behind the woman and violently began stabbing her. With a cry of pain, the woman seemed to stop moving. I immediately radioed for backup, grabbing the girl, throwing her in my car, and driving to the station. 
My supervisor immediately began talking to her while backup was taking care and cleaning up the situation. I was sent home for the night, and the next day when I went in for my shift, I was told I would no longer be working on that case and did not speak about any of the details given. That was many years ago now, and now that I don't do it anymore, I feel the need to share this information. Hopefully, it'll assist anybody out there with knowing that things beyond our realm of comprehension and understanding rational thought truly exist. Today my wife and I were hiking in Missouri. Our original targeted trailhead had a guy parked there that was in his truck looking very suspicious. We went to another trailhead. Being unfamiliar with the area, we came across the previous trailhead with the suspect person about 3 miles into our 4 mile loop. Guy was not in the truck, check, need to be aware. A little further, full water bottle on the trail with an empty can of spam, check, odd. A little further small backpack on the trail. Okay, now my wife and I automatically go into condition orange. She is facing one way and me the other while walking. I am always armed so, getting ready as it looked like a setup. 100 yards later hear someone talking. Guy is 20 yards off the trail crawling around like an animal laughing like a insane nutcase. Okay now in condition red, we continue on past him weapon out now at my side. He moves towards the trail as we pass, now ready to do what I have too, move the wife in front of me after we pass and he is coming. At the last minute nut job turns away, he lives. We watched our six for a while. He was so methed out he was acting like a bear in the woods laughing it up in fantasy land and digging in the dirt. This is not the first crazy shit I have come across. Have had multiple encounters with violent or crazy people in the city and the woods minding my own business. I feel two-legged animals are the most dangerous thing in the woods and elsewhere. I think you are nuts if you are not always armed. I have been standing at a gas pump, pumping gas before work, guy pulls up and threatens to beat me with a baseball bat. Going to the doctor, a guy beating his woman in the parking lot, she runs in the doctor's office I lock the door, he says he is going to kill me. Folks it only takes one to go wrong. I'm 60 now, not as tough as I once was, got to be careful. Do your family a favor? always carry. Years ago my wife thought I was a little nuts. We have had enough crazy shit happen, now she is armed and makes damn sure I never leave the house unarmed. I'm a police officer and this is a story that a colleague told me. He responded to a call to check up on a camper, but when he arrived, all the lights were out. There was no one there and it was as if everyone had completely disappeared. He heard a growling noise with a chewing sound and saw a tiny three-foot-tall, furry humanoid thing standing there, reminding him of a chimpanzee. He was startled and nearly fell backward. The creature ran off, going at about 30 miles an hour. According to my colleague, it looked partly human, with a nose and brow ridge, but the rest of its face was almost covered in hair and reminded him of an ape. The eyes were all black, and it did not appear to be violent or aggressive. The campers had been harassed by this creature and had left after making the call. 
Some of my cryptozoology friends believe that a juvenile Sasquatch was responsible for the sighting. I was on a routine patrol in the nearby state park when I received a call about a suspicious individual seen wandering along the highway. As a park ranger, I'm responsible for ensuring the safety of visitors and enforcing park rules and regulations, but occasionally, we have to lend a hand to our neighboring communities. I hopped in my truck and drove to the area to check it out. As I was driving, I remembered a story a fellow ranger had shared with me a few weeks ago about a man pushing a shopping cart in the middle of nowhere. It seemed like an odd coincidence that I was now on the lookout for a person matching that description. I decided to keep an eye out just in case. A few miles down the road, I saw him. The man with the shopping cart. He was pushing it along the shoulder of the highway, looking weary and disheveled. I pulled over and approached him cautiously. Excuse me, sir. Are you okay? Do you need any help? I asked him. He looked up at me with tired eyes and shook his head. No, I'm fine. Just trying to make my way to Houston, he replied. I noticed that he had a large backpack strapped to his back and the shopping cart was filled to the brim with what appeared to be all his worldly possessions. It was clear that he was homeless and had been walking for miles. I introduced myself as a park ranger and offered to give him a ride to the nearest town where he could get some rest and food. He hesitated for a moment but eventually accepted my offer. As we drove, he told me about his journey and how he ended up in Colorado. It turned out that he had been walking for days, trying to make his way to Houston to see his family. He had taken a shortcut through Keensburg and that's where the driver had mistaken him for a deer. He was grateful for the ride and for someone who cared enough to check on him. As a park ranger, I'm used to dealing with all kinds of situations, but this one touched me in a different way. It was a reminder that even in the middle of nowhere, there are people who need our help and compassion. I dropped him off at a nearby shelter and wished him luck on the rest of his journey. As a veteran who has driven extensively in Iraq and Kuwait, I have seen my fair share of accidents and tragedies on the road. One incident that has stayed with me was the sight of a decapitated man lying on the side of the road. He had been involved in a racing accident and his head was propped up on his stomach. It was a gruesome sight, but unfortunately, such incidents were not uncommon in those parts of the world. In another instance, I witnessed a woman leaving her car running on the side of a busy street in Kuwait City with her two toddlers inside. I couldn't help but feel anxious about the potential danger they were in. One wrong move and they could have easily ended up as roadkill. These are just some of the many incidents I have witnessed while driving in these regions. It's a sobering reminder of how dangerous the roads can be and how quickly things can turn tragic. It's something that has stayed with me, and I am grateful for every safe journey I have had since then. This story happened a few months ago. At that time, I had moved out of my house for a professional reason, but I had to wait a couple of months before moving into my next house. To spend this time span, and since I can work from anywhere, I rented my very close friend Amy's holiday family house, which is otherwise empty, 
located in a village I grew up in the countryside. I know this family and their house very well since I am a small child. The house is rather large, it has two floors and five bedrooms. It is located in a quiet, or even remote, area of the village, only surrounded by forest and other empty holiday houses. While planning this, I was aware this setting could be scary being a single 27 female, but I hate to restrain myself in life because of unjustified fears, so I instead took a few measures to feel more safe. Before moving in, I had planned to go on a complete checkup of all the doors and windows. Once done, I would look into every room, under every bed and inside all the wardrobes. This way, I could be certain that the house was perfectly empty at that moment, and would stay so, as I will be very careful with closing doors and I knew there were no spare keys. So that, when at night I would be scared, I could reason with myself and know that it is only in my head. I was accompanied by my mother to proceed to the checkup, as she lives close by. We faced a problem rather quickly while verifying doors and windows, two glass doors from the patio were malfunctioning, and one could just slide them open. The layout of the two doors was the following, one was looking towards the garden, the second one was between the patio and the rest of the house. This meant someone could not only get inside the patio from outside, but also in the rest of the house. After this discovery, I called my friend Amy, and we agreed I would find a locksmith. Amy's family's financial situation isn't at its peak, so depending on the price, either only the door leading to the garden either both doors would get fixed. But the price was reasonable, thus the locksmith lady could change both locks. The patio was then perfectly sealed. However, according to her, the glass door leading to the garden was weak and one could easily open it, if motivated. But since the glass door between the patio and the rest of the house was safe, I did not mind that remark. One could have as much fun as they pleased in that patio as long as I was safe in my house. After that and a successful second checkup, I was happy to move in. The first days were a bit scary, but since I was careful with doors and the house's surroundings were so peaceful and lovely, it quickly became bliss to live there. I was heating myself with the fireplace, eating good food, breathing fresh air. I felt very free and happy. Only I had to notice a small odd detail in the very first day, a third glass door was not locking anymore. I got very surprised since I checked so carefully every single door during my checkup. This third door was right next to the one I got repaired, between the patio and the house. So, this meant that the patio was not perfectly sealed anymore, but fine, I thought, all the doors leading to the outside were still locked, so, no need to worry. I quickly moved on since I felt so happy there, I did not want any useless fear to bother me. I came to the conclusion I must have missed it, and I was a bit ashamed that I got Amy's family to spend money on two locks whereas it should have been three, because of my carelessness. After two wonderful months living a dream, mostly on my own, since all my childhood friends moved out from the village, a friend came to visit me. We spent some time outside, and we had a drink at my place before I drove him back to his village, about an hour away. While we were leaving my house, he even emphasized how meticulous I was with closing all the shutters behind ourselves, I told him it was key for me to feel so good in there. 
I was back home at around 10 p.m. I entered my perfectly sealed house, and locked the door behind myself. While turning the key, out of the blue, sudden and intense goosebumps ran all over my scalp. I had never experienced such a feeling, and I was not even aware that the human body could get goosebumps onto the scalp. With that, came a very instinctive feeling of danger and being on my guard. I felt all of this so intensely that I was not able to not ignore it, yet I knew that my house was kept perfectly closed. So, I stayed cautious, but I walked through the entrance and came into the kitchen. Here, on the floor, was laying a rectangular plastic bag. It was small and blue on the orange floor. I was surprised, I recognized it being a plastic bag to be filled with water to make ice cubes. It had nothing to do here. I had already seen these bags earlier, once I was looking for freezer bags to put my food, and I mistook them. I knew they were stored in a drawer at the very other side of the kitchen and I knew we did not use them, nor anything from that drawer, with my friend earlier. This uncanny discovery confirmed my gut feeling, and I began to feel very uneasy. I sent a picture to my friend asking if he had touched or used these, he said, no, keep me in touch. I grabbed a knife and I started walking in the living room. Usually, whenever I would feel afraid in this house, I would go on a little checkup tour in every room to reassure myself. That is what I had in mind at that moment, but this gut feeling was literally forbidding my body to do so, instead it walked me out of the house. I drove to my mother's place and slept there. Few days after, during a sunny afternoon, my mother and I came back and did a checkup thoroughly. Nothing was missing, nor broken, and no one was there. Everything stayed exactly as I had left it. With such evidence, I came to the conclusion it must have been my friend who, by accident, took those bags and forgot about it. Then they must have fallen on the floor while I opened the door. Or something like that. I came back in and kept living a dream in this beautiful place for another month after that. Then, something else happened. For a few days, I had been hearing unusual noises which began to scare me, so I decided it was time for a checkup. It was around 9 p.m., I began going in every room, looking under every bed. Downstairs, all clear. I walked upstairs, opened the first bedroom and surprise, the light was on. This caused me a small flinch. I never go to these rooms upstairs and they remain closed all the time. Nevertheless, I walk towards the wardrobe, but before opening it, I get a second flinch as an unknown object is now laying on top of the furniture. I open, nobody, I close, and I look at the object. It is an elongated black fabric sheath, rather big, with a hook to carry it on a belt. A terrifying idea crosses my mind that it may be a knife sheath, but I brush it off, as I don't need my imagination to get crazy in such a situation. I finished my checkup, but despite nobody being found, I could not help but feeling weird about the sheath and the light. I went to sleep at my mother's place that night too. The day after, I checked with my friend Amy, no family member came into the house while I was away, nor they recognized this object as belonging to any of them. I dropped it at the police station and according to them, it is likely a hunting knife sheath indeed. Then. I started thinking again at this patio's third door. It had been coming in my mind for some weeks, 
but I had been dismissing the idea to avoid unnecessary fear. Reflecting back at my thorough entrance checkup, it is very unlikely that I would have missed a door. As well, the locksmith had changed the lock of the door right next to this one, and even stared at it, to see how a well-functioning lock looked like. With Amy, we had first imagined that an old Airbnb tenant could have made a copy of the keys and the locks had to be changed. But more and more I was sure the person was coming in the house from the patio. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Another locksmith came and looked at the third door's lock. She said, ah, yes, indeed. The lock part screwed on the door frame, where the lock embeds itself, had been screwed off. She also checked the door leading to the garden her colleague had pointed out as easy to open. She said, ah yes, that's obvious. I left the house for good after that. I believe a person had their little habits in this house, using the way I shut when I arrived, and they made sure to be able to reach inside the place despite my changes. Thinking that all this time I was living my life peacefully, reasoning with myself not to be scared, that the place was safe and locked, it actually was not. I was tree planting near Smithers, British Columbia, about an hour and a half into the mountains on dirt roads. I tried my best to just forget this incident even occurred, as I simple could not find a way to rationalize what happened. I don't care who believes me or not by the way, but what happened is this, it was almost midnight and I was trying to sleep in my tent. My tent was near a bunch of standing dead trees that would creak when the wind picked up. A very loud and distinct sound. Now on this particular night it was dead silent and still. I started to hear sticks cracking and steps being taken that slowly got closer over the course of about 15 minutes. It was loud enough I was certain there was a bear approaching my tent. It got so close that it had to be no further than 15 feet from my tent. Cracking sticks and padding around the forest floor. I decided to yell out very loudly. Silence. I was answered with nothing but deafening silence. No sound of the creature fleeing or doing anything at all. I sat in silence to scared to move, trying to rationalize to no conclusion. About 20 minutes of dead silence later, I heard the eeriest, unnatural, and unexplainable noise. It was the exact same timbre and volume and just basically the same sound as the trees outside creaking. But instead of being a regular creak, it began, and then held the exact same note of creak for a full 5 seconds or even longer. It was like an unnatural drone that was obviously not a tree creaking. There was not a hint of wind or any other trees creaking as per usual. I got barely any sleep and the next day was tough, and I just had to forget about it. I didn't ever make the connection that skinwalkers are known to imitate sounds like that until a few weeks ago. This happened in July 2022. If anyone has had a similar experience or has any ideas of what this could have been, I'd love to hear.
I was on duty as a park ranger at the state park near Augusta, Georgia, when I got a call from a driver who reported hitting something on the road. It was around 3 a.m., and I could hear the panic in his voice as he asked for help with filing an accident report. I did my best to calm him down and provide him with the necessary information. Later that day, the driver called back, still in disbelief. He said the damage to his vehicle was much bigger than what a deer could cause, but there was no blood, markings, or body to be found. He ruled out the possibility of it being a car or a rock, and he thought it might have been a mountain lion, although it was smaller than a full-grown deer. I consulted with my colleagues, and we were all puzzled by the incident. We were familiar with the wildlife in the area, and we had never seen any animal that could cause such damage without leaving any evidence behind. We even went out to the area to investigate, but we found nothing. The official police report listed the incident as a deer collision, and the insurance company also agreed with that assessment. However, the driver was adamant that it was not a deer. Sadly, the driver passed away two years later, and the mystery of what he hit on that road remained unsolved. As a park ranger, I am used to dealing with all kinds of wildlife, but this incident still puzzles me to this day. What could have caused that much damage without leaving any evidence behind? It's a mystery that may never be solved. This happened in the late 90s. I, Catherine, and my friend, Rose, met him together. My stalker was a guy Rose and I met on the bus one day coming home from my volunteer work, after school, as a candy striper, at the local hospital. We were on the bus going home laughing and talking and this guy just randomly sits by us and starts talking. He tells us his name and we laugh, thinking he said his name was gay, yeah stupid teenage girls. He corrected us and said his name was Jay. We talked a bit more and innocently gave him our names and he asked for my number but I said no. He was like 7 years older and kinda strange the more we talked to him. He got annoyed but whatever right? So we thought that was that. A few days, maybe a week later me and the same friend run into Jay while switching buses downtown. I was going to her house like I did a few times a week, when we run into him. He asked for me to hang out and watch him play hockey that night. I said no, I was going to my friends. He got weirdly annoyed. And kept trying and bagging me. Telling me about how much fun it would be and trying to get me away from my friend. He really didn't want her to come to this hockey game either. Just wanted it to be us, so weird. Our bus finally came and we got out of there fast. Over the next few weeks I kept running into him downtown L. It was like he knew my schedule, and every time I tried to be nice but get away as fast as I could. And every time he would get annoyed because I wouldn't hang out. A few weeks pass and I'm at school and in walks Jay. I was so mad and frustrated and I snap on him. Why was her here and how did he know what school I went to? Did he follow me on the city bus? He tried saying that he was there to see his friends but he wasn't with anyone. Just a 25-year-old guy wandering around a high school. After that I would randomly see him on my bus and he would always try to sit across from me and watch. He would still ask for us to hang out and I would still say no. As time went on he would still find me on the bus and sit across from me with who I guessed was his girlfriend or a girl he was trying to make me jealous with. 
He would look at me while making out with her. He would do everything he could to make me feel uncomfortable. I would either turn up my music and do my best ignore him or move to another spot. Nothing ever seemed to deter him. He never did anything bad enough to call the police but he knew it was wrong and he knew it bothered me and he knew I would have a panic attack and I'm sure he got off on that. As the years went on, I would see less and less of him. He would randomly pop up and make me uncomfortable, he started standing really close to me and trying to talk. I would have a panic attack and do my best to ignore him. I would still walk away and he would just get more pushy. Every time I would run into him, I text my friend that was there when we first ran into him and get her to calm me down. It's now 2023 so 24-ish years since it all started and I haven't seen him in the last maybe 8 plus years and I'm just praying that I never see him again. I'm 43 so he must be going on 50 and I'm still scared to run into him. I have thought I saw him a few times and panicked but it wasn't him. I hope I never see him again. I'm Jason, a police officer with several years of experience in handling various cases. One day, I received a call about a massive dog roaming around a neighborhood near a cemetery, scaring people. The caller seemed quite frightened, so I knew I had to act fast. As soon as I arrived at the location, I began searching for the dog. The area was quite dark and quiet, but I could hear some strange noises coming from the cemetery. I continued my search for over an hour, but there was no sign of the dog. Just as I was about to give up, I received a tip that the dog was spotted near the cemetery. My team and I decided to search on foot to increase our chances of finding the dog. We were all on high alert, as we suspected it might be a wolf due to its massive size. As we walked around the perimeter of the cemetery, we saw a large black mass with glowing eyes. We could barely make out its features, but we knew it was big. The animal walked away slowly and disappeared, leaving behind a strange black smudge. We were all stunned and didn't know what to do next. Despite calling for more assistance and continuing our search, we were unable to find the animal. It seemed like it had vanished into thin air. I felt a sense of frustration and unease, as I wondered what kind of animal could be so elusive. Was it a wolf or something else entirely? When I was a young adult, I saw something terrifying in the countryside in Denmark. A good mate and I was about to go from his place, to my place, when we spotted something in the edge of a forest. It was a tall figure, about 2 meters tall or more. Long skinny arms and legs. It didn't do anything just stared at my buddy and me for some time, and then retreated to the forest. A couple of weeks later, my sister and her boyfriend saw the same thing, not far from where I saw it. They was taking our dog for an evening walk, and suddenly it appeared about 30 meters from them. Again just staring. The dog began to whimper and flee with the tail between its legs, then they ran home and locked the doors. About a week later, we found a mutilated deer on our farm. The abdomen was torn slash ripped open, and the guts were all over the place. The biggest predators we have in this part of the country is foxes and badgers, and I don't think they can attack, and do that to an adult deer. Shortly after my whole family moved. Some to another farm, 
others to a semi-large town. I myself is living in the town now, but I swear. Sometimes I still have the feeling, that I can see it in the dark. This happened nine years ago in the early spring when I was 15 years old. I was at a friend's house in corn country about an hour north of Indianapolis. Nowadays I am very familiar with the paranormal slash unexplained having multiple shared experiences with friends, but at the time I was a major skeptic, I had not even heard of skinwalkers. I didn't fully process what we saw until years later. I came over to my friend's house to hang out like any other time. I brought my pellet gun, he had one as well, so we could shoot some moles on his farm property. After a while his brother joined us and we eventually got bored of looking for moles. There was a patch of woods about the size of two football fields a little over a mile away completely surrounded by empty cornfields with no access points from the nearby road. The three of us decided to walk out there because why not? We were bored kids looking for fun. We put on some boots and headed out with our pellet guns. The walk wasn't super far but it took us a while to reach the woods because all the spring rain from earlier in the week made the empty field a big mud pit. So muddy your foot disappears each step. Then right as we walked through the brush surrounding the edge of the woods we saw it. The best way I can describe this thing is it was a raccoon that was built like a Great Dane. We had seen coyotes and wolves before and this was not that. It 100% looked like the biggest raccoon we had ever seen. We could tell we caught it off guard because it was just standing there on all fours grooming itself and then it immediately locked eyes with us when one of us pointed at it and said, look at that thing. There was a couple of seconds where we just looked at it as it looked back at us before it quickly turned around and scaled a 60 feet tree. We lost sight of it in the canopy. We then looked at each other and were like WTF was that? and talked about how the way it climbed the tree was what freaked us out the most. It only took a few strides up the tree using its front two paws to grab a spot on the tree to lift and launch itself up the tree. The arms were freakishly long and lanky looking when it climbed. It honestly looked somewhat human the way it articulated its arms as it climbed. Like its elbows jutted out to the sides as it pulled itself up. We talked about how freaky that was some more and decided to keep looking around because even though we were spooked, it was intriguing and we wanted to see if there was any other freaky stuff around. There definitely was. The woods were littered with easily over 100 animal carcasses slash bone piles. Most of them were cows, raccoons, and opossums. There was one spot, maybe 25 by 25 feet that had at least a dozen cow carcasses ranging from just the bone left to one that looked less than a week old. They were definitely being eaten by something with huge chunks of flesh being missing. I know cows get loose all the time but damn if this didn't look like a feeding spot. My theory is this thing was stealing cows from local farms for food, there are a couple within 5 miles. We also found a man-made small pond near the middle of the woods, couldn't have been more than 6 feet wide. There was a shovel and plastic bucket sitting next to it. Once we found that we're pretty freaked out again and decided we better head back because we had less than two hours of daylight left and there was a lot of thick deep mud to slowly walk through to get back. That's pretty much it. At the time it freaked me out a bit but looking back now, knowing what skin walkers are, 
I'm just happy we came back completely unscathed. Unfortunately I don't hang out with those guys anymore and I tried to go back with some different friends somewhat recently only to see that the woods had been cleared out and there was nothing there. I thought I was tripping out but I looked on Google Earth and I could see in its place was dirt and log piles. Probably an omen to not chase this thing, I'll take it at face value. Do you guys think this was a skinwalker or just an apex raccoon? I'm a park ranger in the state of New Hampshire, and I've heard countless stories of strange sightings and unexplainable events in the forests and lakes of this area. But I always approach these stories with a skeptical mind, dismissing them as mere illusions or overactive imaginations. That is until I met a young man who shared his own encounter with me. He was 22 years old from southern Massachusetts, and he had visited his grandfather's lake house on Pine River Pond in New Hampshire with his cousins Elise and Paige when he was 16. Late one night, they decided to walk to the cabin when they came across a tall white figure that ran across the dirt road in front of them. The young man was initially scared speechless, but his cousin Elise screamed loudly in terror. Despite his logical and skeptical mind, he couldn't deny the feeling of being watched the entire night, with the hairs on the back of his neck standing on end. He later discovered that other people had similar sightings in the area, and he found it eerie and fascinating. He even requested screenshots of his conversation with Elise to keep as evidence of their experience. As a park ranger, I couldn't simply dismiss this story as an overactive imagination or hallucination. Instead, it sparked my curiosity and made me wonder about the mysteries and wonders of the natural world. I've since started to keep an open mind and to listen to the stories of those who have encountered strange phenomena. Who knows what other secrets and mysteries lay hidden in the forests and lakes of New Hampshire. I remember the day my cousin called me to come help pack out a buck he had killed at our deer camp, deep in the woods about 5 miles from the trailhead. I loaded up my Polaris and made my way to the trailhead where I saw two men donning their packs and preparing to head in. I exchanged greetings and quickly made my way to camp. After successfully packing out the meat, we made our way back to the trailhead, where we noticed one of the men, the younger one, sitting alone on his tailgate. He approached us and struck up a conversation about the hunt, but then he asked us a strange question. He asked if we had seen an older man on our way back explaining that his father had dementia and he had lost sight of him while hiking. I couldn't help but wonder why the son would let his father out of his sight in the first place. Nevertheless, we had a long drive ahead of us and we were physically exhausted, so we offered to contact someone when we got cell service. The man declined and we headed home. Later that night, at 10 p.m., an alert from one of our cell cameras came through. It was a picture of the missing older man, nowhere near the area where the son claimed to have lost sight of him. I immediately called the sheriff's office and was put in contact with the search and rescue team leader. They asked if I could come back up and hike in with them to the location of the camera. I felt terrible for not helping earlier, but I knew I had to do something. I loaded back up and headed back to the trailhead. It was freezing cold, but the search and rescue team had a helicopter with a thermal camera and about 20 people on the ground searching for the missing man. 
I was about two miles from the trailhead when I ran into an officer with the son and the old man. They had just found him because he had followed a creek down and ended up near the forest road. He had traveled about 18 miles and had only a phone with him, which he had put on airplane mode to save battery. It was a long day, but thankfully the man was found and reunited with his family. I couldn't help but feel guilty for not helping earlier, but I was glad I could help in some way. It's a reminder to always be vigilant and lend a helping hand when needed. My friend and I went to a holiday party about a year back, and we had an early morning meeting for a volunteer event the following day. It was around 12 1 am when we decided to leave the party, but my friend realized that she forgot to buy drinks for the meeting in the morning. Not wanting her to have to wake up earlier than she had to, I offered to drive her to a nearby grocery store that happened to be open late. On the way there, we realized that it was super quiet and there wasn't any other cars around, which is pretty typical if it would have been a weekday, but it was a Saturday and usually Saturdays are busy until 3 am in our city. Nonetheless, we drove on and reached the store. As we drove in, we saw a lady literally appear seemingly out of nowhere, dancing around in a very free-looking way. I don't really know how to describe her outfit other than almost pirate-like, there were pieces of cloth hanging off of her outfit, her face was pale white with dark, but neat, eye makeup, and her hair looked like it might have been really big dreadlocks with more cloth, or maybe even feathers, tied into it. We quickly pulled into a far parking spot, well away from her, and practically sprinted into the store, and when we looked back, she was gone. Not sure if this matters but I figured I would include the ambience of the store as well in case this is a cross-dimensional experience. The lights were dim with some flickering, and when we first walked in, there was a couple, about middle-aged and I think the woman was pregnant if I remember correctly, whispering to, seemingly, the only employee. When they spotted us, they stopped talking and watched us walk down the juice aisle. Needless to say, my friend said she changed her mind and wanted to leave. When we first stepped out, we both happened to look to our left and saw the woman from earlier, standing still at the opposite end of the parking lot. We immediately booked it to my car, got in, and locked the doors. But, when I tried to start it, it wouldn't. I had just bought the car a couple of weeks prior from a certified dealership, and the car never had, and still never has to this day, given me issues. Luckily, after a few turns of the key, my car started and we left. In my rear view mirror, the entity? Danced towards my car again, but it was almost as though she was sprinting because she was moving so quick towards us. Once we made it back over the hill towards our homes, it was as though every single car that should have been on the other side of the hill appeared and the town was as busy as usual. I still have no idea who slash what we saw but I know very well that there was no way that what we experienced was natural slash of this world. If anyone has opinions on what creature or entity we saw that night, please share. As much as I'm still scared of that incident, I am anxious to know what we experienced. It was a warm evening in the early 90s when my dad and his best friend headed out to a drop camp for elk hunting in Washington State. The tent had already been set up, 
and they were a few miles away from civilization. The tent was an A-frame with two separate rooms divided by tent material. They never zipped up either room to keep the air flowing, and the breeze was just right. They had been surrounded by elk on the first evening of their arrival, but the next four days, there was not a sight or sound of an elk. On the last night, they were lying in their cots in the back room, and it was pitch black outside. My dad woke up without knowing why and heard a scraping noise coming from the front room, as if a stick was coming through the tent's side. He could see his friend sitting up on his cot, and a backpack full of gear came flying through the curtain doors and rolled in between them. The backpack had roughly 30 to 35 pounds of gear and rolled 6 feet after hitting the floor. My father and his friends sat on their cots with arrows knocked and pointing at the curtain walls. They were both unarmed except for their bows. My father was scared and couldn't understand how he didn't hear anything. The forest was dead silent until the birds started chirping in the morning. My father never hunted in that area again. The incident had left him traumatized. The fact that something could come in undetected and throw a backpack without making any sound was unsettling. They had experienced something otherworldly and unexplainable. This is the only paranormal experience I've ever had, at least that I can remember. It was many years ago when I was 8 years old. I randomly woke up in the middle of the night, not uncommon for me, and turned over in the bed to readjust. When I did that, I opened my eyes and saw a person, or humanoid-like figure, wearing a black robe that covered over its head with a hood, and draped down to its feet. I remember seeing a string around the hood as well. When I saw this thing I instantly knew it was real, and I knew it wasn't a random person in my house. I didn't have words to explain the feeling, but I knew I wasn't dreaming and it was not a figment of my imagination. It was way too real and I remember the immediate fear that went through my body. The second I saw it, I grabbed my covers and yanked them over my head, went into fetal position and closed my eyes. I was terrified. I didn't know what I was seeing, why there was some random person slash figure standing next to my bed. I laid there trying to calm myself down refusing to remove the covers from over me. I felt protected under them. I eventually fell back asleep and that was the end of it. I've never had any other experience even remotely like that. I grew up never mentioning it to anyone, thinking I'd be called crazy. Until I found this sub just now. I felt comfortable enough and wanted to share my experience and ask your guys thoughts opinions. So this happened to me and my mom few years ago. We were talking in the living room. It was daylight outside and the shutters were closed. There was no light turned on inside of the living room, and all the light that we could see came from the outside through the shutters. All of the sudden the atmosphere in the room became very heavy and we both stopped talking and, I don't know why, but we both instantly looked at the windows. We could very clearly see through the shutters a silhouette of a human figure walking by, as if he or she was outside of the house. I don't know how to best describe if not by a shadow. The shadow of that person was very dark itself, like Vanna Black or something. It was very very chilling, I remember felling very dense slash heavy, like I couldn't talk or move, as it was walking by. Later, 
Me and my mom tried to reproduce it, one of us stayed inside while the other walked by outside, just like the figure did, but it was very different from what we saw. Has this ever happened to anyone of this sub? Does anyone know what this might suggest? Sorry for any eventual grammar mistake, English is not my native language. I still remember that day vividly. I had just pulled out of work and was heading home when a black jeep screeched up beside me. The driver was screaming obscenities at me and I had no idea what was going on. I pulled over and put my vehicle between us, just in case. The man got out of his jeep and started screaming at me, accusing me of following him all over town and claiming that he knew I was a cop. I tried to explain that he had the wrong person, but he didn't want to listen. He kept getting closer and closer, and I could see that his pupils were dilated to an alarming degree. I was getting ready to defend myself when he suddenly stood up straight and turned away from me, walking stiffly back to his jeep. He continued to scream at me over his shoulder as he drove away. I was shaken up by the encounter and couldn't stop thinking about how close I had come to having to use my weapon. It was a scary reminder of the dangers of my job as a park ranger. I reported the incident to my supervisor, but there wasn't much they could do without more information. I just hoped that I would never have to encounter that man again, and that no one else would have to go through what I did that day. As we sat at the four-way stop, I couldn't help but feel uneasy. It was dead quiet, and the only light came from the moon and our headlights. The other drivers looked just as confused as we did. My dad rolled down his window and asked if anyone knew the way to Menifee. One of the drivers pointed to the road on the right and said that it was the way. We nodded our thanks and continued on our way. As we drove down the dark road, I couldn't shake the feeling that something was off. It was as if we were the only people in the world. Then, out of nowhere, we saw something in the middle of the road up ahead. My dad slowed down, and as we got closer, we saw that it was a man lying in the middle of the road. My dad immediately stopped the car, and we got out to check on him. He was conscious, but he was clearly in pain. He told us that he had been walking home from a bar when a car hit him and drove off. We helped him to his feet and got him into the car. We took him to the nearest hospital, which was about an hour away. As we drove, the man kept muttering to himself. He said that he didn't understand why no one had stopped to help him. He said that he had been lying in the road for over an hour before we came along. My dad tried to comfort him, but I could tell that he was just as shaken up as I was. We eventually made it to the hospital, and the man was taken in for treatment. My dad and I waited in the waiting room for hours, until we finally got word that the man was going to be okay. We didn't get back on the road until the sun had come up. That night still sticks with me. It was a surreal experience, and I still can't believe that we were the only ones who stopped to help. It makes you wonder what other things go on in the world when no one is around to witness them. It was the late 60s, and I was still in high school. I had decided to take part in a road rally in the mountains north of Los Angeles, hoping for a bit of adventure. However, I quickly got lost, and the moon had already set, 
making it pretty dark outside. It was around midnight when I realized I didn't have a clue where I was or which direction to take. I decided to keep driving until I came across a crossroad or something that would indicate the right path. That's when I heard it, a loud roar that made my heart skip a beat. The sky on my left lit up in a flickering orange-red, and the ground started shaking. It wasn't an earthquake, I knew that from living in Los Angeles, where earthquakes are commonplace. So, I immediately thought the worst, my god, is this the end of the world? Did they nuke LA? I drove a little further, and then I saw it, the Rocketdyne test facility. They were doing rocket engine tests for the Saturn V-B that took Apollo to the moon landing. It was one of the most terrifying experiences of my life. I could feel the ground shake under my car, and the roar was deafening. The sky was aglow, and I was sure I was witnessing the end of the world. I quickly turned around and drove as fast as I could back to civilization. The next day, I learned what had happened, and I was relieved that it wasn't the end of the world. I couldn't believe how close I had come to one of the most significant moments in human history. It's funny how life can take unexpected turns. Years later, I became a park ranger, and I still think back to that night when I got lost in the mountains and stumbled across the test facility. It's a reminder that we should always expect the unexpected, and we should never take life for granted.